treat or treat, trick or treat. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome. Welcome back to the Haunted Heart Podcast Audio Drama Special. special. Okay, so we should probably work on the, uh, should probably workshop the, the name of it. However, you're here, we're here, and we're excited to get spooky with you. Yes, we have a treat for you this week. I'm sure that you have seen us posting all about it on social media, but we are bringing you The Halloween Tree. Based on the book of the same title by Ray Bradbury. We got together with our friends over at the Snacks with Stein podcast to record this audio drama for you. To celebrate spooky season. Spooky season, Halloween, and... All things that go bump in the night. Yes. Because you never know where Halloween night will lead you, just like our characters in this story. So you'll learn a lot about your favorite season. True. We really love this audio drama because we feel like it encapsulates the childhood wonder of Halloween and that magical feeling in the air when the veil between worlds just a little bit thinner than it usually is. So come together with your loved ones, your kids, your partner, and embrace the magic and mystery of the season. We hope you enjoy this audio drama because we enjoyed making it for you. Yes. And with that said, we bid you a very happy Halloween and a reminder to always Always stay spooky. beyond were prehistoric drawings of cavemen long before the Egyptians. Lightning struck to burn forests. One ape man, running, seized a burning branch and rammed it in a saber-toothed jaws. The tiger shrieked and fell away. The ape man, snorting in triumph, tossed the fiery branch into a pile of autumn leaves in his cave. Other men came to hold their hands out to the fire, laughing at the night where the yellow beast's eyes waited, afraid. See, children, the days of long cold are gone. Because of this one brave, new-thinking man, Summer lives in the winter cave. But what's that got to do with Halloween? Do? Why, blast my bones, everything. When you and your friends die every day, there's no time to think of death, is there? Only time to run. But when you stop, running at long last, now you have time to think of where you came from, and where you're going. And fire lights the way, children. Fire and lightning, morning stars to gaze at, 
campfire in your own cave to protect you. Only by night fires was the caveman, beast man, able at last to turn his thoughts on a spit and baste them with wonder. The sun died in the sky. Winter came on like a great white beast shaking its fur, burying him. Would spring ever come back to the world? Would the sun be reborn next year or stay murdered? Egyptians asked it. Cavemen asked it a million years before. Will the sun rise tomorrow morning? And that's how Halloween began? With such long thoughts at night, children, and always at the center of it. Fire. The sun. The sun dying down the cold sky forever. How that must have scared early man, huh? That was the big death. If the sun went away forever, then what? So they held tight to their ribs, prayed for spring, watched the fire, thanked invisible gods for harvests of fruit and nuts. Halloween, indeed. A million years ago, in a cave in autumn, with the ghosts inside heads and the sun lost. More to see. Come on, children. And from the void, leaves and avalanche fell upon each child like terrible flapping moths and carried them away. Over Egyptian sands they sang and laughed and giggled. Over the strange sea, rapturous and hysterical, they soared. The children fell like a bushel of chestnuts, their feet rained to earth, all the children being safely landed on English earth. Their billion autumn leaves fell off and blew away. They stood in the midst of a vast field of wheat, for a huge scythe came skimming down out of the sky. With its great razor edge, it cut the wind. With its whistling side, it sliced clouds. It beheaded trees. It razored along the cheek of the hill. It made a clean shave of wheat. In the air of a whole blizzard of wheat fell. And with every whisk, every cut, every scythe, the sky was a swarm with cries and shrieks and screams. The scythe hissed up. The children cowered. Huh. Mount Shroud, is that you? For towering forty feet above them in the sky, an immense scythe in his hands was this cowled figure, its face in midnight fogs. Mount Shroud, let us be! Oh, wait. There you are. Right next to me. Then who... That's not me. That's... Samhain, god of the dead, I harvest lust, and so all those who died this year are here, and for their sins this night are turned to beasts. Please. For your sins, your sins, take that and this. The scythe flashed, the wind cut, fell, bright thunders. The wheat churned and gave up a million heads. Heads fell. Sinners hit like rocks, and hitting were turned to frogs and toads and multitudes of scaly warts with legs and jellyfish which stank in the light. I'll be good. Let me live. <laughs> For all the evil you ever did. My gosh, he's a bug maker. Sam Wayne, October God, God of the Dead. I think it's time we ran. Shall we take a vote? I figure I've been pretty good most of my life. I don't deserve to die. Run! Hey, look, that dog. Its face, its eyes, something in the eyes. That couldn't be... 
Pipkin? Pipkin? Is this where we meet you? Is... Hold on, Pipkin. We know you. We see you. Don't scare off. Don't. But the dog, yarping with Pipkin's own dear, sweet, scared voice, was gone. But didn't an echo of his yip come back from the hills? Meet. 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 Meet? But where? Sour, scythe uplifted, gazed all about, happy at his games. He chuckled a most delicious chuckle, specked fiery spittle on his horny hands, clinched the scythe tighter, swung it up, and froze. For somewhere, someone was singing. Somewhere near the top of a hill, in a small clump of trees, a small bonfire flickered. Men like shadows were gathered there, lifting up their arms and chanting. Samhain listened, his scythe like a great smile in his arms. Oh, Samhain, god of the dead, Hear us, we the holy druid priests in this grove of trees, the great oaks, plead for the souls of the dead. We pray for the souls of those who are turned to beasts. O God of the dead, we sacrifice these beasts so that you will let free the souls of our loved ones who died this year. The knives flashed. Samhain smiled an even greater smile. The animals shrieked. All around the boys on the earth, the grass, the rocks, the trapped souls, lost in spiders, locked in roaches, put away in fleas and pillbugs and centipedes, gaped in yammered, silent yammers, and twitched and roiled. I, children, see gods following God. The Romans cut the Druids, their oaks, their god of the dead, bang, down, and put in their own gods. Now the Christians run and cut the Romans down. New altars, children, now incense, new names. What's happening, Mount Shroud? Where are we? Why, bless me, children. It's the Dark Ages, the longest darkest night ever. Christ long since come and gone in the world and... Where's Pipkin? Here. I think I'm on a broom. It's taking me away. There was a huge whisper like a gigantic cat stroking its whiskers in the dark. Brooms. The gathering of the brooms. The October Broom Festival. The annual migration. To where? The broom works, of course. Help! I'm flying! Hang on. When attacked by a broom, only one thing to do. Hold tight! I'm holding! The sky was swept clean with brooms. The sky was yelled clean by children occupying at least eight of those brooms at once. And what with changing their cries of fear to cries of delight, the children almost forgot to look or listen for Pipkin, similarly sailed off among island clouds.
quick as we can. But Pip, it's awful hard to ride a broomstick, I find. There was now such a hustle of brooms as left no room for clouds, and none for mists, and certainly none for fog or children. There was an immense traffic jam of brooms, as if all Earth's forests gave up their branches in one boom and fling, and scouring autumn fields cut clean and throttled tight such cereal grains as made good sweepers, thrashers, beaters, then flew up. So here came all the backyard washline prop poles in the world, and here came with them swatches of grass, clumps of weed, brambles of bush to herd the sheep clouds and cleanse the stars and ride the children. Said the children, each on his own skinny mount, were deluged with beatings and cuffings of flail and wood. They were punished severely for occupying heaven. They took a hundred bruises each, a dozen cuts, and precisely forty-nine lumps on their tender skulls. Hey, I got a bloody nose! Shucks, that's nothing! I got one eye shut, one ear bad, and I lost a tooth! Pipkin, don't keep telling us to meet you, and then we don't know where. Where? In the air! Jeez, there's two zillion, one hundred billion, ninety-nine million acres of air around the world. Which half acre does Pip mean? A cloud with a grand fiend face gaped its mouth. It swallowed Pipkin, broom and all, then shut its vapors tight and rumbled with Pipkin indigestion. That's it. Jump, run, this way to the right, this way to the dark. Quick, hide, lie low. Wait a few centuries. Hide out from what? Here come the Christians. And from all the roads, the mobs ran to stand alone on farms or at crossroads, in harvest fields, in towns, old men, old women, toothless and raving, yelling to the sky as the brooms swept down. Why, those are witches. There are witches jumping fires. Or witches stirring cauldrons. And witches drawing symbols in farmyard dust. Are they real? I mean, I always thought. Real? Ye little gods and fishes, every town has its resident witch. Every town hides some old Greek pagan priest, some Roman worshipper of tiny gods who ran up the roads, hid in culverts, sank in caves to escape the Christians. In every tiny village, in every scrubby farm, the old religions hide out. You saw the druids cut and chopped, huh? They hid from the Romans, and now the Romans, who fed Christians to lions, run themselves to hide. So all the little lollygagging cults, all flavors and types, scramble to survive. See how they run, children. (laughs) And it was true. Fires burned all over Europe. At every crossroad and by every haystack, dark forms jumped in cats across flames. Cauldrons bubbled, old hags cursed. Witches, witches everywhere. I never knew there were so many. Mobs and multitudes, Tina. Europe was flooded to the dikes. Witches underfoot, under bed, in the cellars and high attics. Boy, oh boy! Real witches! Could they talk to the dead? No. Keep demons and door hinges and, and squeal them out at midnight? Nope. Ride broomsticks? No. Put sneezing spells on people? Sorry. Kill folks by sticking pins and dolls? No. Well, heck! What could they do? Nothing. Oh, they thought they could, children, but stop and think. What does the word witch truly mean? 
Um, wits, intelligence. That's all it means. Knowledge. So any man or woman with half a brain and with inclinations towards learning had his wits about him. Yeah? A witch! And some of the smart ones, the ones with wits, pretended at magic or dreamed themselves with ghosts and dead shufflers and ambling mummies. And if enemies dropped dead by coincidence, they took credit for it. They liked to believe they had powers, but they had none, children. None. Sad and sorry, tis true. But listen, there beyond the hill, that's where the brooms come from. That's where they go. Below, at full tilt, a witch-broom factory was filled with commotions, poles being cut and bound with broom-bushes which, no sooner tied, took up off the chimneys in flights of spark. On rooftops, hags leaped on to ride the stars. Smoke churned the sky. At every crossroads, witches hung. Crows gathered in a feathered darkness. The children hung from their brooms in the sky, eyes popped, mouths wide. The brooms flew them off through chars and smokes. They landed on an empty street, in an open place in Paris. Their brooms fell over, dead. Well now, children, what should we do to scare the scarers, frighten the frighteners, shiver the shiverers? What's bigger than demons and witches? Bigger witches? Bigger gods? Bigger churches? Bless you, children, right! An idea gets big, yes? A religion gets big. How? With Buildings large enough to cast shadows across an entire land. Build buildings you can see for a hundred miles. Build one so tall and so famous it has a hunchback in it, ringing bells. So now, children, help me build it brick by brick, flying buttress by flying buttress. Let's build Notre Dame Cathedral. Hey, wait! Listen! Help! The children looked and saw a kind of scaffolding reared up in half a belfry keep upon the moon. At the very top hung a huge bronze bell that was tolling now. And from inside that bell, with every crash and bang and gong, this small voice shouted, Help! He's inside the bell! It's using his skull for a knocker! He yells help in between every sound! But how can we get up there to him? He'll knock his brains out! You must save him, always and forever, again and again this night, until one grand salvation. Wait! Ah, inspiration. We were going to build Notre Dame, correct? Well, then, let us by all means build it there, and climb our way up to hard sculpt and knock the bell sound the hour, Pipkin. Hop it, children, climb those stairs! What stairs? Why these? So they ran on emptiness, with mound shroud prodding, shoving after. They ran on pure, windy light, only to have bricks and stones and mortar shuffle like cards, deal themselves solid, take form beneath their toes and heels. It was like racing up through a cake that built itself layer on stone layer, and the wild bell and sad Pipkin shouting and pleading them on. Thank you.
So even as the Romans cut down druid trees and chopped their god of the dead to fall, we now, with this church, children, cast such a shadow as knocks all witches off their stilts and puts seedy sorcerers and trite magicians to heal. No more small witch fires. Only this great lit candle. Notre Dame. Presto. The great bronze bell shuddered and hung empty. The boys leaned to peer into its cavernous mouth. There was no clapper inside, shaped like Pipkin. Pipkin? He's here somewhere. Up there in the air. Meet him, that's what he promised. And Pipkin falls back on no promises. Look about, children. Fine handiwork, eh? Centuries of toil done in a fast gallop and sneeze, right? But, ah, uh, something besides Pipkin's missing. What? Glance up. Scan round. Don't the place look awful plain, children? Awful untouched and unornamented? Gargoyles! Where are all the gargoyles? Shall we put them on, children? But how? How would we do that? Why, I should think we could whistle them in place. Whistle for demons, children. Whistle for fiends. Give a high-toodling blow for beasties and ferocious fanged loomers of the dark. She whistled. All whistled. And the gargoyles? They came running. All the dead statues and idols and semigods and demigods of Europe, lying like a dreadful snow all about, abandoned in ruins, gave a blink and start, and came as salamanders on the road, or bats in the skies, or dingoes in the brush. They flew, they galloped, they skittered. Why, what are those? Why, those are sins, children, and nondescripts. There crawls the worm of conscience. Now, settle, slumber, sleep. Well, does it make sense, Tina? Sure. All the old gods, all the old dreams, all the old nightmares, all the old ideas with nothing to do. Out of work. We gave them work. We called them here. And here they will remain for centuries, right? Right. Jehoshaphat! We whistled all the stone griffins and demons here. Now Pipkin's lost again. I was thinking, why can't we whistle him? Children, look round. He's still here. Look and find, hide and seek. And way down on a ledge, halfway to the earth, the boys, squinting, thought they saw one small, round, beautiful, angel-devil face with a familiar eye, a familiar nose, a friendly and familiar mouth. Pipkin! Standing in a line directly under the outthrust stone mask, the bust, the head of a gargoyle, they looked up at that mighty fine profile, that great nub nose, that unbearded cheek, that fuzzy cap of marbled hair. Pipkin. Pip, for crying out loud, what are you doing here? Can't you answer? Are you trapped in the stone? Can't you talk to us? A wind blew through the open mouth of the statue, and Pipkin's voice could be heard, but only one slow word at a time, and the children could not understand. But the wind had died, it began to rain, and this was best of all, for the raindrops ran cold in Pipkin's stone ears, and out along his nose, and fountained from his marble mouth, so that he began to utter syllables and liquid tongues with clear, cold, rainwater words. Hey, this is better. You should have been where I've been. Gosh, 
I was buried for a mummy. I was trapped in a dog. We guess that was you, Pipkin. Gosh, golly. Funny, strange. Inside this rock with all these devils and demons for pals? In ten minutes from now, who knows where I'll be? Higher up or buried deep? Where, Pipkin? Pipkin, are you dead? No, not yet. Part of me is in the hospital, a long way off, home. Part of me is in that old Egyptian tomb. Part of me is in the grass in England. Part of me is here. Part of me is in a worse place. Where? I don't know. I don't. Oh, gosh. One minute I'm yelling laughs, and the next I'm scared. Now, just now, this very minute, I guess... I know I'm scared. Please, help me, guys. Oh, help, please. A lightning bolt struck out of the sky. It flashed blue and white. The entire cathedral shook. The children had to grab demons' horns and angels' wings on either side so as not to be knocked off. Thunder and smoke and a great scattering of rock and stone. Pipkin's face was gone. Knocked off by the lightning bolt, it fell down through space to shatter the ground below. The dust of it caught fire and blew away on the wind. Embers. Mexico. Mexico? The last grand travel of this night. Reassemble the kite, children. The kite of autumn. But that kite was destroyed. Was it? Follow me and jump. They did. Hovered suddenly round a windy corner of gargoyles, the autumn kite, freshly assembled, broke their fall. They grabbed, they held to rim, to edge. The autumn kite hovered, waiting, eight boys upon its billowing surf of teeth and eyes. That way. Let's fly there. Listen. Coffin makers in Mexico. In the streets with their long boxes and nails and little hammers. Tapping, tapping. To Mexico we go. They hung above an island in that lake in Mexico. They heard dogs barking in the night far below. They saw a few boats on the moonlit lake moving like water insects. They heard a guitar playing, and a man singing in a high, sad voice. Oh, why here? Yes, south, here and south. All the cemeteries, all the graveyards are full of candlelight. A thousand candles in the cemetery. A hundred candles in that graveyard. Ten thousand small flickering lights farther on a hundred miles. Five thousand miles down to the very tip of Argentina. Is that why they celebrate El Dia de los Muertos? A guitar called to them. A voice sang to them. A road like a river of white stones and white rocks led up through the town that was like a graveyard, to the graveyard that was like a town. By every grave was a woman kneeling to place gardenias or azaleas or marigolds in a frame upon the stone. By every grave knelt a daughter who was lighting a new candle or lighting a candle that had just blown out. By every grave was a quiet boy with bright brown eyes and in one hand a small papier-mâché funeral parade glued to a shingle, and in the other hand, a papier-mâché skeleton head which rattled with rice or nuts inside. Boy, at home, we never go to the graveyard, except maybe Memorial Day, once a year, and then at high noon. Full sun, no fun. This now, this is fun. Mexican Halloweens are better than ours. Cuevas de los Muertos 
Hear that? What's he saying? Skulls? I think skulls of the dead? And out of the mist, an old street vendor came, his back loaded with sugar skulls. Names, names, tell me your name. I will give you your skull. Tina! Carly! The old man plucked forth a skull. On it, in huge letters, was written, Tina. All the children received a grinning skull that bore their names. The children lifted the sweet skulls in their fingers. This is the best Halloween of all! And it was. For never in all their wild travels had so much happened to be seen, smelled, touched. In every alley and door and window were mounds of sugar skulls with beautiful names. From every alley came the tap, tap of death watch beetle coffin makers, nailing, hammering, tapping coffin lids like wooden drums in the night. strange. Up in Illinois, we've forgotten what it's all about. I mean, the dead? Up in our town tonight, heck, they're forgotten. Nobody remembers. Nobody cares. Nobody goes to sit and talk to them. Boy, that's lonely. That's really sad. But here, why, shucks. It's both happy and sad. It's all firecrackers and skeleton toys down here in the plaza. And up in that graveyard now are all the Mexican dead folks with the families visiting and flowers and candies and singing and more candy. I mean, it's almost like Thanksgiving, huh? And everyone sat down to dinner, but only half the people able to eat. But that's no mind. They're there. It's like holding hands at a seance with your friends. But some of the friends gone. Hey, look, over there, another sugar skull. This one has Pipkin's name. Along the dark night street, around a corner, came a woman bearing over her shoulders twin scoops of mounded charcoals burning. From these heaps of pink burning coals, firefly sparks scattered and blew in the wind. Where she passed on bare feet, she left a trail of little sparks which died. Without a word, shuffling, she went around another corner into an alley, gone. After her came a man carrying on his head lightly, lightly, a small coffin. Was that Pip again? Inside that box? Do you think so? I don't know. I only know I had enough. The night's been too long. I've seen too much. I know everything. Gosh, everything. Yeah. yeah. And we've got to get home, don't we? What about Pipkin? Where is he? Is he alive or dead? Can we save him? Is he lost? Are we too late? What do we do? To save Pipkin? One last thing. Look up in this tree. Dangling from the tree were a dozen Halloween piñatas. Devils, ghosts, skulls, witches that swayed in the wind. Sticks were thrust into their hands. Break your piñatas, children. Strike. Yelling, they struck. The piñatas exploded, and from the skeleton piñata, a thousand small skeleton leaves fell in a shower. They swarmed on Tina. The wind blew skeletons, leaves, and Tina away, and from the mummy piñata fell hundreds of frail Egyptian mummies which rushed away into the sky, Ralph with them. And so each child struck and cracked 
light and let down small vinegar gnat dancing images of himself so that devils, witches, ghosts shrieked and seized, and all the boys and leaves went tumbling through the sky with Mound Shroud laughing after. They found themselves in the middle of an abandoned graveyard with no people, no lights. Only stones like immense wedding cakes, frosted with old moonlight, and as they watched, Moundshroud, landing light on her feet in a swift, quiet motion, bent. She reached for an iron rung in the earth. She pulled. With a shriek of hinges, a trap door in the earth gaped wide. The children came to stand at the edge of the big hole. Catacombs? Catacombs. Is Pip down there? Go bring him up, children. Is he alone down there? No. Things are with him. You first, Tina. They went down the steps in a single file, and with each step down, the dark got darker, and with each step down, the silence grew more silent, and with each step down, the night became deep as a well and very black indeed, and with each step down, the shadows waited and seemed to lean from walls, and with each step down, strange things seemed to smile at them from the long cave which waited below. There they are! The mummies? The mummies. A long line of them, standing against the walls. Fifty mummies standing against the right wall. Fifty mummies standing against the left wall. And four mummies waiting at the far end in the dark. One hundred and four dry as dust mummies, more alone than they, more lonely than they might ever feel in life, abandoned here, left below, far from dog barks and fireflies and the sweet singing of men and guitars in the night. Oh boy, all those poor people, I heard of them. Their folks couldn't pay the rent on their graves, so the gravedigger dug up these people and put them down here. The earth is so dry, it makes mummies out of them. And look, see how they're dressed. Listen, do you hear crying? Down there, at the end. That's... Why, that's Pip. Only heard him cry once, but that's him, Pipkin. And he's trapped there in the catacombs. Pipkin, is that you? What are you crying for? Come out of there! I can't! I'm afraid! They won't let me! They knew he meant the long line of mummies. In order to get out, he would have to run the gauntlet between the nightmares, the mysteries, the dreadful ones, the dyers, and the haunts. They can't hurt you, Pip! Yes, they can! I'm afraid! Well, which of us is brave enough to go and get him? No one? Well, how do we save him? If he can't come out, and none of us will go in. Save him with this, children. Moundshroud reached into her dark cloak and brought forth a familiar white sugar candy skull, across the brow of which was written, Pipkin. Strike a bargain! With you! With me. And others unnamed. Here, break this skull in eight delicious bits, children, and hand them round. Do you truly want Pipkin to live? Well then, will you each give one year from the end of your life, children? What? I mean it. One year 
one precious year from the far-burned candle end of your life. With one year apiece, you can ransom dead Pipkin. A year? A year? Why, sure. Why not? Yes. One year. Each of you must promise to give. You won't miss the year now, of course, for you are very young. And I see by touching your minds, you cannot even guess the final situation. Only later, fifty years from this night, or sixty years from this dawn, when you are running low on time and dearly wish an extra day or so of fine weather and such joy. That's when Mr. D for doom or Mr. B for bones will show up with his bill to be paid. Or perhaps I will come, old Mountshroud herself, a friend to children, and say, deliver. So, a year promised must be a year given over. I'll say give, and you must give. What will that mean to each of you? It will mean that some of those of you who might have lived to be 71 must die at 70. Some of you who might have lived to be 86 must cough up your ghost at 85. That's a great age. A year, more or less, doesn't sound like much. But when the time comes, children, you may regret. But... You will be able to say, This year I spent well. I gave up for Pip. I made a loan of life for sweet Pipkin, the fairest apple that almost fell too early off the harvest tree. Some of you at 49 must cross life off at 48. Some at 55 must lay down to forever sleep at 54. Do you catch the whole thing intact now, children? Do you add the figures? Is the arithmetic plain? A year. Who will bid 365 entire days out from his own soul to get old Pipkin back? Think, children. Silence. Then speak. Me. 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 So be it, children. Chew and eat. Eat and chew. And the spirit of Pipkin ran from the darkness of the catacombs and out into the night. Where is he going, Moundshroud? Home. I imagine. Let's go see. Like so many leaves stripped away from a tree, they yelled themselves into the sky. Moundshroud raving sank up, and they, if that is possible, sank and plummeted after. They hit the clouds like an explosion of gunshot. They followed Moundshroud like a flock of north-rushing birds heading home before their season. The earth seemed to give a turn from north to south. A thousand small villages and towns spun under, alight with candles flickering in tune yards through all of Mexico, alight with candles flickering in pumpkins north of the border, across Texas, and then across Oklahoma, and Kansas, and Iowa, and, at last, Illinois. And, at last... Hey, we're home! I can see the courthouse and my house, and oh, there's the Halloween tree. But what about Pipkin? We followed him through history, burying him, digging him up, walking him in parades, crying him in wakes. Is he or isn't he alive? Did you indeed? That's his hospital, boys. But check his house. The final knock of the night, the last grand trick-or-treat. Go ask for final answers. And the boys were gone running, 
running down through the ravine and up along the street, gasping hot gusts of air, their masks falling to be trampled until at last they stopped on Pipkin's sidewalk and looked at the far hospital and back at Pipkin's front door. But when they arrived, only Tina was brave enough to go in and ask about their friend. The others waited on the porch. But after a few long moments, Tina came out. He's okay. He's all right. He's okay. Pipkin's in the hospital. Took his appendix out at nine tonight. Got it just in time. The doctor says he's great. And the town clock struck midnight. And gunning again to a full count of twelve. And Halloween was over. And all about the town, doors were slamming and lights going out. The children began to drift, saying night and night and again night and some good night, but most night. Yes, night. And the lawn was empty, but Pipkin's porch was just full of candle illumination and warmth and baked pumpkin smell and ghost, and mummy, and skeleton, and witch, and all the rest were back at their own homes, on their own porches, and each turned to look at the town, and remember this special night they would never, in all their lives, ever forget. And they looked across the town, at one another's porches, but especially on and over across the ravine to that great house where at the very top Mount Shroud stood on her spiked railing roof hair and cape flying in the wind <laughs> <laughs>